Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The District of Columbia Federal Appeals Court has vacated permits for three new interstate natural gas pipelines in the southeastern United States, including the 515-mile-long Sable Trail pipeline that would run through Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. In a two-to-one decision, the court said that the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission failed to uh, failed in its environmental review to account for enough information on the greenhouse gas emissions that result from burning natural gas that the pipeline lines will carry. The Sable Trail Pipeline is already operating, but the Sierra Club, which brought the suit, is hailing the ruling to stop what it calls dangerous and unnecessary fracked gas pipelines. With us to discuss this case are Charles Warren, a partner at Kramer Levin, Neftalis and Frankel, and Pat Parento, a professor at Vermont Law School. Pat, why don't you take us through what the court actually found here in in saying that the government didn't do its job right? Well, it was a review under the National Environmental Policy Act, our famous uh, environmental impact statement law, and um, that law requires that agencies like FERC that approve pipelines must consider the indirect effects as well as direct effects of their actions, and in this case, the indirect effects, as you mentioned, it would be the burning of the gas in the power plants, which would release methane, uh, greenhouse, very potent greenhouse gas, and uh, uh, FERC took the position that, uh, number one, it was very speculative as to what those kinds of emissions would be in terms of trying to quantify them. And number two, it argued that really the ultimate decision to approve uh, the use of this gas was up to the state and, and its energy board, w- which would approve uh, the use of the gas in their in their power plant. So the uh, FERC took the position they weren't really the legal cause uh, of these emissions. The D.C. Circuit, in, in the decision you mentioned, two to one, uh, disagreed with FERC and said, no, you do have the authority uh, to consider environmental impacts. You do have some authority to try to address them, at least through mitigation, perhaps. And so, therefore, the failure to consider those effects in the environmental impact statement rendered it uh, unlawful, and uh, the court vacated the certificate, uh, the license for the pipeline, and remanded the case uh, to FERC. There'll be more on this, but I'll stop there. So, Chuck... How big a victory is this for environmentalists? Well, this is a pretty big victory, at least as far as it goes, because they've obviously stopped the pipeline uh, for a while until they go back and and do this kind of analysis. And depending on what the analysis shows, uh, it might have some impact on on the pipeline or, or you know, as they go forward. Um, obviously, we haven't heard the, the last of this, and so uh, I'm sure they'll appeal to the Supreme Court on this, and uh, who knows exactly what's going to happen there. And then I think the, that was one of the arguments in the to the D.C. Circuit that, based on uh, an earlier case, uh, the public citizen case that uh, which had to do with trucks coming in from Mexico, where the court found you didn't have to look at those uh, impacts. Uh, uh, maybe they think they have a chance uh, at the Supreme Court level to reverse this. Pat, both you and Chuck have mentioned that, you know, we're going to have more legal wrangling over 
these pipelines, and obviously we will, Supreme Court, back to FERC. Um, but what happens to the pipelines now, and, and where, what can we expect as the next steps here? That's actually an interesting question. The, the, the Sierra Club lawyers, of course, are taking the position this means that you can't use the pipeline because the certificate has been vacated and you can't do anything until you've issued a new uh, environmental impact statement or perhaps, as Chuck has mentioned, that in, in the event of future legal judicial action on this. Um, the pipeline company, I have read, is taking the position, well, we haven't actually been ordered not to use the pipeline, and they may go back to uh, the D.C. Circuit either for clarification or more likely, in my view, they're going to petition for what's called a rehearing en banc before the full D.C. Circuit. There's another panel decision uh, involving these greenhouse gas emissions from, in this case, an LNG terminal and an export facility in Texas, and that case reached the opposite conclusion with regard to FERC's uh, responsibility for considering greenhouse gas emissions. The cases are, are, can be distinguished, but there's going to be real arguments about whether there's actually a split now uh, within the D.C. Circuit on this question requiring the full circuit to address it. So, as Charles mentioned, um, I think there's going to be a lot more legal action here. Chuck, why don't you explain how it is that we've got a company suing protesters and claiming that they are terrorists? What are they saying that they did? Well, they're suing under what's known as the RICO statute. That's the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. And, uh, you know, they said that they made all kinds of misrepresentations and negative campaigns and... Uh, they put wrong coordinates in and said they would, you know, endanger human lives and did all kinds of stuff, and, and they colluded with these other organizations and they to stage these, what they thought, terrorist acts by these demonstrations and stuff like that. And so um, they're, they're, they're making a, lot, a broad array of charges here, and uh, as I think as you know, m most situations, the, the RICO law is used against organized crime, like the mafia, and it, it's been occasionally used against others, but it's not usually used uh, against environmental groups, even if they are aggressive in trying to put forward their position. And so, uh, you know, my sense is that this is a, you know, a, a really overreaching type of complaint here, and apparently they, they tried this before against uh, Greenpeace, and um, and this seems like a, a second attempt at it. And I, I, I don't think that the courts are going to give it much uh, hope here. That's just my sense. Pat, that second, the other lawsuit was filed by the same law firm, which is a Casuitz firm, which represents Donald Trump. Um, what is the defense of Greenpeace? Uh, First Amendment. <laughs> uh, I looked at the complaint in this case. It's 270-some pages. It's, re it's really quite remarkable. Um, and I looked down the list of all the statements and documents and tweets and everything that, that the, uh, the company is claiming constitute all these horrible things, terrorism and so forth. I didn't see anything that was mentioned in that complaint that isn't protected by the First Amendment. Um, you know, people have a right to even overstate uh, the impacts and the threats that pipelines like this present, Greenpeace could be guilty of that, right? 
but that's not illegal, and that's protected by the First Amendment, and their right to go to court uh, or their right to organize, their right to petition the government, their right to publicize what they believe to be uh, the impacts of projects like this on the climate and on the water and everything else, all of those things are, are protected uh, under our system of constitutional law. So, you know, Greenpeace has called this a slap suit, a strategic lawsuit against public participation. We're these are very familiar tactics of at least some parts of industry to try to intimidate, silence, scare off their critics and environmental activists in particular. So I have to agree with Greenpeace. This looks very much like a slap suit. Greenpeace is, by the way, not going to take this lying down. They are going to countersue for abusive process, intentional infliction of emotional distress, defamation, libel. They're going to come throw the other kitchen sink, uh, I predict, against the uh, pipeline company. So, um, you know, lots more entertainment for lawyers and, and, uh, and people but, watching this. Pat, there is a provocative charge that they attempted to sabotage the pipeline, and there were arrests of people who were demonstrating, and there were there were things that happened at the pipeline which you might consider some kind of sabotage. Yeah, that's true. In fact, there's a trial coming up in December against one of the protesters for destruction of property and other things. And there's no question but what that is going to be uh, answerable to the court of law. And the individuals who, you know, perpetrated those acts, if it's proven in court, are going to be criminally prosecuted, maybe civilly uh, prosecuted for damages. Those, those certainly are legitimate claims. But to say that that was all orchestrated by Greenpeace and all of its Greenpeace affiliates throughout the world, including some organization in the Netherlands, uh, which is at the center of all this, that's really the overreach that Chuck was talking about. Well, it's interesting, Chuck. You you know, Pat mentioned this could be what's called a slap suit, you know, meant to silence right. groups like this. Uh, but I wonder about that as a tactic. When you've got a group like Greenpeace, uh, you know, working against a highly controversial uh, project like the Dakota Access Pipeline, where certainly they're going to be able, to, one would think they'll be able to get people to back their defense, uh, even if they need, you know, if they need pro bono lawyers, if they need somebody to fund this. Um, what do you think that, you know, what kind of success can a, law, can a lawsuit like this have against environmental groups? I don't think it's going to have much success, uh, but I think there's one thing to be said here, and I know the Greenpeace lawyers have attacked the Kasowitz uh, Benson Tories firm. And in fact, um, in New York, they're well known for bringing very aggressive claims against people, which often are thrown out in the end. And, uh, and I think that what you're seeing here is an overreach and uh, goes, be I mean, to use the RICO statute in this case like this, I think is just uh, a vast overreach. And, and uh, I don't think they're really going to get anywhere. That doesn't mean they they won't try. I mean, aggressive lawyers, uh, you know, try to do a lot of things to maybe intimidate people. But I don't think Greenpeace is going to be intimidated. Uh, their history shows they're not easily intimidated. All right. I want to thank you both for being on Bloomberg Law. That's Charles Warren of Kramer Levin and Pat Parento, professor at Vermont Law School. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.